Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Geekscapists, welcome to our brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm Jonathan London, your host, and if this is your first Geekscape, well, strap yourselves in for some pop culture talk. If this isn't your first Geekscape, though, you know what we do here. I'm Jonathan, your host, and I like to sit down with filmmakers, comic book creators, people involved in video games, maybe some people from TV, or maybe just pop culture enthusiasts like yourselves, uh, or musicians. I love musicians. I asked to do an interview with music with a musician this week. I hope it happens. If it, if not, you'll be none the wiser. Uh, well, but one of my favorite bands has a new album out, and I just I would love to talk to them about it on Geekscape. That's what I built this for is uh, as a storyteller to kind of pick the brains of storytellers and say, hey, like what went into this? What was the idea behind this? concept what inspired you to bring this to the screen and geekscape is this episode you're about to listen to is a treat i've got the bragg brothers and what's fantastic about them is i met them as a filmmaker in a film festival i was playing el ray the the geekscape short film el ray up it's up now on geekscape tv our youtube channel don't don't go yet don't turn off the podcast or wherever you're watching this and go yet you can watch it later um I had El Rey playing at the Santa Fe International Film Fest, and I was looking for things uh, that was all, that, that were also playing the film festival, and I saw a movie that I thought was going to be perfect for Geekscape. It was called Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. Hey, <laughs> whoa, whoa, crime. Don't worry, I'll, I'll get, uh, did you all hear the sirens? I'll stop that crime soon uh, after the show. It can wait. So, I... Um, Wanted, I kind of circled the pinball movie because I thought it, it would be something I could talk about on the show. I had no idea that when I sat down to watch the film uh, later that week that I was going to fall in love with it as much as I did. I rushed the filmmakers after the screening. Um, I think I freaked them out a little bit, but we'll talk about that. Austin and Meredith are here. And I said, you have to come on Geekscape. We got to talk about this. When this film gets released, we have got to talk about this on Geekscape. Well, sure enough, the film is out now on places like Apple TV, Amazon. It is called Pinball, the man who uh, saved the game. And I love the movie today as much as I did months ago when I first saw it. And I think you're going to love it too. Uh, it The story is just, it's just unbelievable. And we're going to talk about it uh, in a little bit of bookkeeping. I hope you've been enjoying Geekscape. Yes, we did just do a Shazam Fury of the Gods special. If you haven't seen Shazam Fury of the Gods, you're not going to want to listen to that. It's on the feed. Wait till you see the movie and then go listen to it. I enjoyed the movie. That's just my short review right there. Sure. Um, think what you will of DC and their films and this and that, or does it even matter because they're going to redo everything under James Gunn. Not so fast. I think you should go so, see the movie. I still like Zach Levi because he's my guy. Um, he almost did our, my marriage proposal. Uh, that's the story I tell on the Fury of the Gods uh, podcast. And Zach's always been nice to me. Uh, the box office didn't show up for him. That hurts because I think the movie's a lot of fun. It's as much fun, in my opinion, as that first Shazam movie, which I also really enjoyed. Um, so if y'all were into that first Shazam movie, don't be like, oh, what's the point? DC's going to get revamped under James Gunn. I say go see the movie. It's okay to go see these movies and just enjoy them without thinking that they should take place in some bigger fabric of what it all means and this and that. Like, no, no, just enjoy movies for what they are. And this movie, Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game, that we're talking about on this episode is really a great example of that. Um, it probably doesn't spin off into a multiverse. It probably doesn't have much of a sequel. But what it does do, what it does do really well is tell a really interesting extraordinary story that I just didn't know. 
and uh, and I was amazed that that the story is is real. It's based on a true story. Uh, one other last filmmaking note: I directed a music video two three weeks ago uh, for an artist named Josie Cotton. Josie's great. She's wonderful. If you've seen Valley Girl with Nicolas Cage, uh, maybe you know Josie. She plays like she's the band playing the prom, and uh, and she wanted me to do a music video for her. We dropped that video today. It's for a song called um, Disco Ball. If you search for that on YouTube, Josie Cotton Disco Ball, you'll see it. Uh, we wanted to do something weird with lots of genre references. So there's some grindhouse in there. There's some disco. Uh, there's a lot of influence from Trog, the 1970 movie with Joan Crawford. Uh, there's some horror elements in it. It's a weird video. My brother cameos in it. Blink, you miss him, but... Uh, it's fun and it's very genre. So if you're listening to Geekscape, maybe it's up your alley. Um, go look for that video again after you listen to this podcast. Okay, I've filibustered enough. I've tub thumped enough for the outside Geekscape projects. Now it's time to do Geekscape. I'll be right back with the Bragg Brothers and their film Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. All right, Geekscapers, let's get right to it. I've got the Bragg brothers waiting to talk about their film, Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably like, hey, it's 2023. We're all about video games and that. And Pinball, like, come on. Hey, Pinball, I think, is having a resurgence. And uh, when I go down to the local barcades and see the, the, the video games on display, there's always a ton of Pinball. And don't just take my word for it. Uh, Geekscape's own Derek Cranavelt is in the comments. Uh, watching on YouTube, like you can, you can jump in the comments if you're watching this live. And he says, even if you don't care about pinball at all, the movie is great. So funny and charming. Glad I chose to buy instead of rent as I'm definitely watching it again. So that's, that's an endorsement from our very own Derek who does host the Xbox show on Geekscape. So there's a video gamer right there telling you to watch the movie about pinball because it's awesome. But don't just take my word for it. Don't just take Derek's word for it. we got the filmmakers right here. Here's Austin and Meredith Bragg, and they're going to tell you about Pinball, the man who saved the game. Um, guys, I just want to ask, like, there's so much I want to know about this movie. Mainly, uh, when did you first hear this story? Because it's actually pretty miraculous, this story. And, I mean, you all agree at this point. I know you've lived with it for a while, but <laughs> you have to have been blown away when you heard this story. Or did you maybe encounter it earlier in your lives and it was something you wanted to make for several years? I mean, I don't. it's funny. We don't remember when we first heard that pinball was illegal and that there was this guy with this crazy mustache who proved that it was a game of skill and not chance. Uh, in front of the New York City Council uh, by playing pinball and helping overturn the law in 1976. But that's the story we learned. I mean, we saw this picture. There's this crazy picture of him playing pinball and all these chairmen just, you know, arms crossed watching him. And um, it's stuck on a Google Doc. It was on a Google Doc that we have just full of uh, random ideas that we occasionally dip back into when we need a project. And we... Um, uh, it was around February of 2020. I just cold emailed Roger um, because we were looking for something to do and asked if he'd jump on the phone with me so I could learn a little bit more about his story. And he told me about all the other things that were happening in his life, uh, meeting the single mom, older single mother, um, and, and her son, um, being a writer at GQ, writing the first pinball book that had ever been created, and some of the just his thoughts about this story that's well known in the pinball community about the shot where he actually called he called, called a, a trick shot, a plunger shot um, to help uh, uh, save the game. And um, when I got off that, it was about three hours phone call. Wow. When I got off, off of that, uh, I contacted Austin and I said, I think it might be a feature. Like, 
we he had basically given me the I knew the A plot, but he gave me a B plot and a C plot and a D plot. If he says he had given us all this information, sure. Um, and that's that's when the deep dive really happened, and it was great. Well, the things that's miraculous, and maybe we need to catch the Geekscapists up yeah. on the history of pinball up to that point. But um, Mayor LaGuardia of New York, wanting to appear to be tough on crime in the 1930s, correct me if I'm wrong, yep. in the 1930s, cracked down on pinball, saying that it was uh, like a roulette table. It was a way for uh, illegal crime dens, gambling dens, to, uh, to, to make money. And so he was going to uh, ban pinball in New York city so that he could look tough on crime. And for decades, pinball was not only banned in New York city, but following New York city's lead in wanting to appear tough on crime cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, correct me if I'm wrong, but like major cities in the U S said, yeah, we're going to ban pinball as well. And for the most part in every major city in the United States, pinball was banned for decades uh, but in the smaller towns, the college towns that maybe didn't have to look so tough on crime, uh, pinball was still there in the local bars and restaurants. And when people would go to college or uh, graduate out of their towns, they'd move on to the big city and they'd discover, wait, you you, you can't play pinball here? <laughs> like it's it's banned? And that's kind of the setting for this story. It's yeah. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it was a big crack on organized crime, but more importantly, it was a big PR campaign, right? To look like you're tough on crime to, I mean, there are numerous photos out there of LaGuardia in his all white suit smashing pinball machines and tipping them over and hitting them with sledgehammers while all the cops just sort of stand by looking sad. When he was doing that. Tons of them. He looks like the kingpin of crime when he does. Like, okay. Um, but it was BS. It was like, we're, I mean, look, anytime there's a cash game or, you know, I'm, I have a feeling there's probably some crime involved. Uh, I know there was <laughs> with the distributors. There's always talk of people protecting their territory, True. but I mean, certainly above and beyond what was being claimed and for what, 35 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we sort of allude to it in the film, but it would be like banning pool, mm -hmm. right? Like, yes, people pool, gamble. People on gamble on pool, right? But they you don't ban pool tables. Um, and we should also say that when this so, so pinball really started um, around uh, the nineteen thirties. The, the pinball, like something that would look like a machine that we would recognize as pinball, started around the nineteen thirties, and in those days. Um, they, there were no flippers. So it was much less of a, um, a skilled device or an obvious skilled device um, than, than you see today. The flippers didn't come for uh, you know, a couple of decades after. Um, so, but there was still skill because they would hit, I mean, as you, if you watch good pinball players, they'll hit the, the, um, the they'll nudge the, the cabinet, put a little English on it. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, I'm terrible at it. Oh, I'm oh terrible. yeah. We're terrible. So were we. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like we did not come at this from a pinball perspective. We were not pinball people before <laughs> we started. And that shows, especially when you watch the two of us play next to Roger, who is still incredibly good, incredibly good at pinball. And Roger had all this stuff written down. I mean, he gave you the story. You didn't give him the screenwriting credit, though. I noticed that. <laughs> no, 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 no. We um, we spent cumulatively, I'm sure, days on Zoom with Roger. This was essentially our pandemic project for mm -hmm. most of 2020. When everything shut down, we were all on our. I was right here talking on Zoom to Roger, um, and uh, from that we sort of delved into him and his personal life and everything that was going on at the time. We talked to his family, we talked to his friends, um, and, you know, sort of Meredith likens uh, this more akin to making a documentary that usually you're trying to build your story up, but in documentaries, you're trying to cut everything away until you get to your story at the heart. And it felt more like that because there were so many things going on. Uh, you know, we had to whittle down until we got to where we wanted it. I was going to ask you about that because the story of someone who moves to New York City, who is in love with this game of pinball, discovers that in the major cities it's banned. 
and then fights for it a little bit. But in the course of the movie, no spoilers, uh, they really want to be a writer and they find this job at GQ and uh, as sort of a, a passion project, they write about pinball, but then they get brought into uh, an actual like case uh, of testifying to City Hall that this ban from the 1930s should be over, overturned and that pinball should be re- allowed in the city. Um, that story alone is miraculous, especially because this takes place in uh, at least the, the culminating scene where you know what, what where history happens is 1976 is that correct mm-hmm, and correct. we're about to be hit by the arcade generation and you're about to see the pongs come in and you're about to see the donkey kongs and then the early 80s um flood of you know mall arcades uh this seems like the beginning of it it almost feels like if this case hadn't been overturned and, and maybe y'all have more context for it if pinball hadn't been allowed back in new york city would a lot of that arcade culture have even happened? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, you were right that, uh, you know, Pong had was out at that point. It was a novelty. It was new, but it was starting to find its way into these uh, pinball um, arcades that he, you know, he found one in New Jersey. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, he would, he, there were places where you could play. So, uh, that's that's a really good question. It's something probably something we should ask Roger. <laughs> I mean, it's, Roger I, I, if if I'm making arcade cabinets, if I'm yeah. if I'm like a Bally's or, or or a Konami or somebody, and and you know consoles are still almost ten years away, and I want to make cabinets, and I'm trying to make these boards for cabinets and put them in. If the infrastructure that pinball had built isn't there, why would I invest? And, and also, if a giant market like New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles isn't there because the pinball infrastructure isn't there, like why would I put a bunch of arcade cabinets together and try and flood them into these malls and strip malls uh, and bars when it's not allowed? When yeah. when that 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 kind of uh, stability isn't there for my product, the audience has kind of been dispersed to smaller towns, smaller audiences. Um, I don't think that. He just saved pinball is what I'm arguing. Um, he may have saved that entire arcade culture that exploded in the early 80s. And in doing so, saved kind of the way we look at gaming and and that kind of stuff today. I may be over-speaking it, but y'all did the research. And Roger may be somebody to talk about that. Yeah. I have a feeling if you said that to Roger, he would say, no way. Because <laughs> he still thinks that this whole thing is ridiculous, and his contribution to history is nothing but a footnote, okay. according to Roger. So yeah. I'm sure he has a good argument for why uh, you know entertainment like arcades would be flourishing nonetheless. But um, but I will say one thing that's that I found interesting in doing the research is how much the um, the distributors and the the manufacturers of these games ended up. Um, selling overseas mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Europe and the, the market in Europe kept these um, kept these companies afloat. Like, I mean, there was a lot of consolidation around this time. Um, Chicago Coin, which we show, uh, like they go out of business. Um, I think a year after our our movie wraps, you know, nineteen seventy seven and of seventy six. But it's it's the it's the European gamers that end up becoming a lifeline for pinball, and I mean it's a it's a crazy percentage. I want to say it's like sixty percent of the games that the they were selling went overseas, and partially that's because of these um, these laws that would would tamp down the availability. Um, but you know, in the in the movie, we show that Roger used to get in his car because he. It was crazy enough to have a car in Manhattan. Um, but he would get in his car and he would drive across the river to New Jersey. And that's where he would play. He had pinball. He found pinball in New Jersey because it was legal there. Sure. Um, and so um, he would he would regularly go across and play in, in arcades. And I, it, well, yeah, one other thing, one other thing I should mention, um, there were still pinball laws, anti-pinball laws on the books now uh cities like oakland 
only removed their pinball bans in the last decade. There's still a, um, a law in the books in South Carolina that prohibits minors from playing pinball. We were down there for a screening uh, not long ago, and they're trying to lift the ban right now. Like, these things still live on the books. Sometimes they're not enforced. Sometimes they are. Um, a lot of times they will just sit there silently and be forgotten until sure. someone's trying to open a barcade and a neighbor says, I don't want a barcade there. What can I do to stop it? And looks through and finds the law. You'd have to be like Gandalf at the beginning of Lord of the Rings going through and like searching all those tomes <laughs> to find a law that outlaws, you know, because a lot of these laws came from the 1930s, mm-hmm. 1940s, anti-mobster laws because they didn't want these gambling dens in their neighborhoods. Uh, it's insane that there's still remnants of them. And I think that they still exist only because they've been overlooked for decades. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like unless somebody's trying to dispute the uh, the presence of a, a barcade or, a, you know, a nightclub or something opening up in their neighborhood, like that's, that's kind of insane. Uh, one thing that we can claim, and I'm sure Roger might dispute the importance of this moment in history. What I can't dispute is that I saw this movie completely finished after a bit of a festival run in October 2022, y'all started the research for this movie and the writing of this movie and putting it together in 2020 during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Y'all shot this during the pandemic. Y'all put together an incredibly well-produced uh, film in two years. I love you and hate you at the same time because that is <laughs> quite the accomplishment. But also, you may love and hate yourselves as well because that sounds like such a beast to do. Uh, biggest challenge is putting that movie together. Biggest things you all learned because up to that point, you're mainly doing shorts and content for uh, the online kind of space, right? Sure. Uh, I mean, we may love and hate ourselves, but we have nothing but love for uh, <laughs> uh, MPI Original Films who produced sure. this uh they um, they had produced our short film that we had done previous to this and came back and said, you know, do you have a feature in mind? Um, you know, dealing in this low budget space saying uh, no period picks and uh, no biopics. Uh, so, of course, we kept this on the list and uh, that's the one that managed to float to the top. Yeah, the biopic and the period piece. <laughs> yeah. Great. Way um, to go, guys. Uh, why did they say yes? Uh, they liked it. I yeah. guess this the was same the story reason. that spoke to them. I mean, it, obviously it spoke to us or we wouldn't have left it on the list. So, um, you know, there's something about it that I think caught people's eye, got people's attention. It's an amazing story. Like it, it's an amazing story. And again, like I'm not a pinball aficionado. I went and saw this at the festival because I thought it was something I could talk about in passing on Geekscape and say, Hey, like this, you all might be interested. And I fell in love with the movie. Um, yes. Geekscape is when you hear low budget on Geekscape. Sure. I've asked you to watch some movies that maybe the low budget was actually an impairment to the film. And maybe you ended up scratching your head and be like, well, I liked the filmmaker. I liked the actor, but, uh, that could have used a little bit more budget in it. I don't, I don't, you're not going to get that with, with pinball. You're not going to get that with this film. Um, Y'all did a really good job of producing this film. Uh, the period piece, the performances. I want to talk about the fact that y'all have a really interesting story just in the pinball aspect of it. Uh, when you look at those B, C, D storylines, um, how do you not trim those? And what did what resonated for y'all in those storylines of him in the love interest or... Uh, him pursuing his career as a writer that y'all decided to weave into this bigger kind of like, I would call it like, like the main narrative of the pinball ban and the overturning of the pinball ban. I mean, I think um, there's, it was a reinforcing of the themes of the value of taking risks and sometimes, you know, uh, and, and, and allowing people to take risks and, and, um, that that's what spoke to me. I mean, this fact that he, again, I don't think I'm giving away too much here, but he comes from divorce. Um, uh, this single mother, Ellen, who's played by Crystal Reed also divorced, has a kid older than him, but there's obviously a connection there. There's a great chemistry between them. And it's a question of, well, you're going to, you know, the first time failed, are you going to commit to this? 
again. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a commitment there that, and and also Roger deciding to commit to finally writing a book, which you know he had tried and long uh, and failed. And there's a risk there too, because he's not the publisher. He doesn't get final say on what that book is going to be. Um, there's a risk when he steps in front of City Hall and decides he's going to live play a game of pinball. And if it goes well, pinball, he could help legalize this game that he loves and help redeem it in the eyes, hopefully, of, of some of these politicians. Um, and if he fails, yeah, you know, this, he's, <laughs> so it's just, it's, that's it. Right. Like, it, these all reinforced one another and they don't all play out the way you might expect. That's the other thing is some risks work. Some risks don't. Um, that's that, that was interesting to me, but still it's, it's about the value of being able to take those risks and juxtaposing that to an idea of control and safety. This is, we're going to keep this safe for kids. We don't want kids wasting their lunch money on this game. So LaGuardia bans it. It's safe. He's controlled it, but control is boring. And so there's a, that to me, there was just this, a lot of fun, um, uh, interplay and weaving between those storylines. And they're just some amazing characters and all this stuff is true. Like 90% of the plot points on here, whether it's the relationship, the people or the things that happened to GQ, the things that happened writing the book, the people he got to meet and all the pinball, all of that is stuff that Roger gave us. Like he was very generous with his time. And we talk to him for hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, he also never throws anything away. So he had yes. all of his notes from the 70s, all of his pictures, everything. Yeah. yeah. So wow. there was just a treasure trove of information for us to go through and pick apart. But at the same time, what's great is that he had all this stuff. And Austin and I, I think we saw it. We were like, this is a movie. This is a movie. Mm-hmm. This is great. And he kept coming back to this. Oh, I don't know why you want to make this a movie. <laughs> Uh, it's a footnote. Uh, is, uh, really, guys? Is this really interesting to anyone? Like, he didn't believe it. And mm-hmm. eventually, Austin just threatened to make the first line of the movie. Well, I, don't I don't know why, why you want to make, make this, this a movie. movie. <laughs> Which is what we did. Yeah, so. Yeah, I love that there are documentary elements to it. Uh, that the framework of this is a present day um, Roger with the frame like hey i don't know why you want to make this movie you're interviewing me uh i think if you're um a fan of like american splendor use like they kind of a, a plot device and ultimately geeks gave us you're going to look up on um i think apple tv where you can watch this and there's going to be a tetris movie about that and i love the i love the story of smuggling tetris out of the ussr um you know we're going to get a, a, a mario movie next month but ultimately, that Tetris movie, I think, is the one with the closest similarities. If you want to have a, a game night where you don't touch a controller, but you want to celebrate video games uh, or gaming in general, I think that having this film, Pinball, the man who saves the game, saved the game, and Tetris, just strike up the Apple TV and watch both of those back to back with your friends because <laughs> both are kind of a celebration of those risks and, you know, of, of being a little bit of. Uh, I don't know. I and mean, this isn't a, this wasn't an established co- counterculture. It wasn't cool necessarily to p- play pinball. He wasn't going to gain any cred in doing this. And having seen the movie, he pushes off the 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 uh, the call to defend this game a lot. Um, when you talk about this stuff, Meredith, and you're talking about these risks that are taken and control. Let's go back to that filmmaking. Um, you got two uh, two years to make this movie. Not that you knew it was going to take two years. Not that you didn't think it might possibly take three or four, right? And you're making this against the pandemic. You know a chunk of your budget is going to, you know, COVID protocol mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Um, you have to feel some resonance with Richard in taking a risk. Your first feature, as you know, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, your first feature, you are doing this at probably the hardest time to make a feature where your budget's already getting semi crippled by COVID protocols. Um, it's not a small cast there. It's not like you're doing rope, uh, the, the linguator <laughs> rope where you're in one room, you know, it's not like you're sitting or that was tape where it's not like you're sitting here doing a movie with like three actors in a motel room. That was tape linguators tape. Um, and, uh, 
you went for it. Yeah. Did, this, did the story inspire you to be like, F it? Uh, 100%. 100%. I mean, I think that's that was our end, right? Like, there we had a couple, I think we had a couple things that we felt we, that spoke to us. But yeah, this idea of, uh, you know, we were given an opportunity and we're going to go for it. And there's only so much you can control. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it was crazy. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a, it's a wild, humbling thing to be given these, you know, um, to have these actors come on board that are just crazy gifted. Amazing. To have the, um, I mean, we're, Austin and I have a background of, of shooting low to no budget. Um, and I'm talking web content. Yeah. yeah. It's web content. Yeah. Like grab your I, friends. I'll, you know. I'll hold yeah. the boom pole. If I'm y'all not do on camera. Yeah. Comedy sketches and web content. I yeah. know about y'all, you guys. And then I got to say, there's a million of y'all on the internet, but there's yep. a million of y'all on the internet. Yeah. Not all of them are able to put together a movie of this capacity. Yeah. Well, no I offense, mean... everyone on the internet. It's true. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure we get it 10 years ago. Credit to MPI <laughs> well, yeah. Original Films for let, sure. you know giving us the reins and saying let's do it right. That was a game of skill. Yeah, but, but you know <laughs> it could what? have been it a game of chance. <laughs> it's not just us. Like so, we were taking a risk. Obviously, they were taking mm-hmm. a risk on us. The actors, absolutely. I mean, Mike Feist did not have to do this, right? No. He had just he's, he's he's just West Side Story was just about to be released. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dennis puts like he's. Us. He's yes. in he's in he's in Better Call Saul a mm-hmm. lot, yeah. like yeah. Crystal Reed. She's on the Teen Wolf show on MTV. Like these aren't pushover actors. I mm-hmm. mean, you know what I what I love about that first line of is this interesting to you? Should this really be a movie when you've got Dennis playing the older version of Roger? Um, what I love is the second the movie starts, there's a recognizable actor giving the movie cred. And While the, production, the, the production value is as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the same time saying, really? Because, you, watch you know, I get it. It's pinball. We're not documenting, like, how to fight world hunger. I understand, sure. right? But, that's but, not but sitting in that is. theater, and and I, I'll just say it. I think Santa Fe International Film Festival, I love you guys, but y'all did this movie wrong. You programmed it at, like, no, 10 a.m. No, 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 no. They programmed you guys at Sunday Sunday morning. I think y'all are a marquee slot. They didn't. They we were still unsure if we were going to be able to make it to Santa Fe because Because we had had a couple of we had a couple of different screenings that were around the country, and we still didn't know exactly what our dates were. But the festivals had overlapped, so we we weren't sure until the last minute that we were going to be there. Then play them the Sunday evening. No, look, I'm I'm eternally <laughs> grateful. I'm eternally yes, grateful. Closing night movie, <laughs> or because you know if you can't make opening night, this is a closing night movie. I love I yeah, I love the festival, and and yes, yeah. that makes sense to me. I still listen Sunday 10 a.m. on a festival tough. circuit. There That's hard, there. guys. There were what I there. what I appreciate about it is that knowing that I was one of fifth five people, I was definitely going to be able to talk to y'all after the film. <laughs> <laughs> Invite y'all on Geekscape. <laughs> I mean, if it had been crowded, if it had been like opening night South by, there's no way I would have gotten to y'all at all. There you go. Yeah. But knowing that there was five people and, and one of them was cleaning the place after the movie ended, like <laughs> I was, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm being facetious, but y'all did have a great, you know, regardless of how that, that, that one dropped, y'all had a great uh, festival run. Uh, how's it doing now? Uh, how is it doing now that it's on Apple and on Amazon and people can see it? Obviously, our own Derek Krenovelt saw it and loved it. I would love all the Geekscapists to check it out over this weekend. Uh, if y'all aren't watching the John Wick 4, <laughs> maybe you're not into the John Wick 4. Uh, maybe you're not into the comic book movies that are out and all that stuff and you just want to stay home. Uh, this is a great movie to stay home and enjoy. Uh, this one, to prop it up on your Amazon and your Apple TV. Um, how's the reception? Oh, so far, great. we've been really pleased. I mean, I, I can't speak to any sort of numbers in the back end. There's that's a there are definitely some benefits to not being a producer on your film, but mm-hmm. uh, one of the detriments is you don't get all the info you'd like. Uh, but the reviews that have come out, there's been more and more, and you know, anybody yeah. I think who's creating something and putting it out for the public to see is always going to be worried about how it's received. And sure, we've been quite pleased. Yeah. It's been any surprises. 
Oh, I mean, there's a I New mean, Yorker review that is just crazy, um, <laughs> amazingly kind. Um, and that's and, the New Yorker. In like, yeah. yeah, this is a movie about New New York. That's like getting a hometown endorsement, really. <laughs> Yes, it it kind of is because it's a was, movie a bit about New York history. Yeah, just yeah, you know, you could you could look that one up and then watch the movie and see if it. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on! Now. It's great. Come it's on. great. The, the New York the, the New Yorker review is fantastic. And we've got some nice ones, you know, L.A. Weekly and um, yeah, it's been great. We got to go on NPR and and chat about it for Weekend Edition. Um, got to go to London for Rain Dance. Yeah, had this a great whole... festival there. I mean, we went. We won the best narrative at Savannah and SCAD, which is a really great festival. Audience award, Heartland. I mean, it's honestly, it's been it's 10 a.m. at Santa Fe. It was great. It was yeah, a <laughs> weird don't, guy came and rushed you after the screening, and I'm not going to get you in trouble. Santa Fe called me. Get Geekscape in trouble. Get Geekscape. They're like, we should have programmed your little rat movie, Jonathan. And, well, all right, we'll talk about that at the next one. No, I, I actually loved uh, that festival, Santa Fe. Yeah, it was great. Festival, we had a good time. Yeah. Which yeah. may be why I was surprised like that a movie that quality, I was like, whoa, 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 wait, 10 a.m. Sunday. What's going on here? Because I loved that festival. I yeah. loved Santa Fe International Film Festival. Yeah. Um, I thought some of the stuff they programmed was fantastic. Uh, and I've talked about them here on the show. Uh, movie like Wildcat, the documentary that's on Amazon. So about good. Yeah, that's a fantastic one. I discovered it there at the festival. And then there's a movie coming out. was called Roost. And it had uh, Grace Van Deen, uh, daughter of our friend uh, Casper Van Deen. Uh, she, you know Grace because she was in last season of stranger things she's in this movie that's really interesting and in, in santa fe i discovered it there hmm. and uh that was a really good one so santa fe knows their stuff they know yeah, their stuff sure. and and i'm blaming y'all for the 10 a.m you should y'all, be y'all were divas y'all were like mm, yeah. i don't know if we can make your film festival <laughs> yeah maybe i know I well we know. know better for next time that's for sure <laughs> yeah uh, green green m&ms fools i don't know <laughs> green m&ms only uh derek cranavel still pouring love on the movie in the in the comments he says the presentation was super interesting uh i think he's talking about that narrative structure of the doc style uh modern day roger talking about the story and many may not realize that roger retelling the story isn't actually roger no no it's this actor from the break from the better call Saul. could real roger just not act or what made you choose to present the story like this that's a good question derek I don't know. I mean, I don't think we, it's not like we put real Roger through a screen test or anything. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think there was ever a consideration that we would actually have Roger in there. Cause I'm not going to script words and then pretend that it's just a straightforward, normal interview on screen. Um, it, to me, it just made sense to have uh, an actor portraying Roger there. And we're, I mean, how lucky are we that we got Dennis in there to do it, who's just fantastic. Uh, and like I said, the first frame of the movie, you see a recognizable TV actor from Better Call Saul, yeah. which is how I know him the most. And But you've seen him in a million things. And the second he's on screen, your movie has credibility. Your movie has like that level of stature, and you're going to pay attention to it. And then you all did this one You do one or two one but you all did a one Oh, early on in that bar scene, mm. because listen, I'm not gonna listen. I know I've talked enough trash, but they're not all winners, folks. Like, <laughs> I, like I haven't been proud of all my films either, right? Like some of my, I described a film I did to somebody, and they're like, "What happened to that?" And I was like, "Sometimes bread doesn't rise." <laughs> like it just, <laughs> I mean, it's, are you, hard. But y'all, y'all know what I'm saying it's as filmmakers. Alchemy. But you, yeah. it's alchemy. I described it as alchemy today. Yeah. Like, like as we put this next film together. It's alchemy. If you get it wrong, the bread doesn't rise. Yeah. And and so sometimes you're sitting. It doesn't mean so the, the film's not going to find an audience. It doesn't mean that the film's necessarily bad. It's just my stupid opinion. But sometimes you sit in some of these, you know, in, you know, indie movies. Sometimes you sit in the Hollywood movies that are five hundred million dollars, and the bread doesn't rise. And you're sitting there going, hmm. When I saw y'all pull off that first one, or you know what I'm talking about, the one in the bar, mm. it's you know, it's the it's the 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 dolly or the steady left steady right mm-hmm. through all that stuff. I'm just like, oh, these mothers came to play. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> this is me at me at me at like 10 a.m. Movie's about to start. I think I need a different coffee. 
Then here's when Dennis gets on the screen. Okay, okay. And then here's when that one hits. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> now y'all, oh, I'm paying attention now. Let's see what y'all got. Okay, Bragg Brothers, okay. Well, that's a that's a trick that Austin and I have, uh, We when we were doing 48-hour film festivals. Sure. Um, we realized that if you start a movie with some sort of move, it doesn't have to be big. Doesn't have it to be a one no, right. it could be a crane. It could just be a dolly. Sure. It doesn't matter. But just get the little bit of movement, a little bit of life. It puts the audience at ease and it buys you a lot of time to do pretty basic coverage, which yeah. is what yeah. you have to do when you're moving. I mean, we shot in 21 days. It's it's We moved pretty fast. We had a lot of locations. You know, everyone had uh, a lot of days. Um, this was not a, a simple shoot to, to, to pull off. Um, so we wanted something at the open that just let people know, gave them a sense of like, oh, okay, this is going to be a little bit where when you, when you, when you say tier zero, low budget feature, I think people have an idea in their heads of what they're going to see. Oh, running in the streets, Dutch angles, like <laughs> yeah, weird, you know, rough. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. So th this gave us a, I'm glad you actually, I'm, I'm thrilled that you had that response because that's because exactly I've been thinking the response about that shot. we want. I've been thinking about the the stuff y'all pulled off of this movie. Again, zero tier, indie budget. Like, I've been thinking about this, you know, again, it is a period piece in New York City. It's not a period piece in Little Town, Oklahoma, where it's like, let's just kind of age the mailbox. No. <laughs> this is a period piece in New York City where you have to populate it with cars and people, and that's costumes and props and everything in between. Um, first off, psychotic. Um, yeah. second off, like immediately I have to give you all respect for that. And you're right. When you start off the a film with a one -er or a nice soft move or something that shows a little bit of craft behind the camera, um, you get a little bit of currency. Like if, 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 if you have to go into a rhythm for, let's say in a movie like this, and I think y'all handled this as well. This is a credit to your writing. Um, there is a lot to explain very quickly. And this movie could have very easily fallen into talking heads, setting the stage on it, and a lot of exposition just getting info dumped on you. Uh, and if that had to happen, y'all gave yourself a little bit of a nice little fluid move to invite the audience in there. And then whatever needs to be told needs to be told to set the stage. You can do it. You also got that with the documentary framework. You know, that stuff can be told while you're watching a sequence of action and the picture doesn't stop. So... Have I sold this movie enough, Geekscapists? Why are you sold listening to this? Yeah. No. No, sold big kudos. About it. I want well, to I... John Wick first. <laughs> no, you don't have to. Listen, um, just watch the first three John Wicks and pretend <laughs> it's the fourth. No offense. Mm. I mean, no offense. I, oh, you know what? I'm not going to say that. I'm going to go see the John Wick for. Um, I like the John Wick movies. I, yeah. I, I like them because, like, I don't think this is an offensive thing to say about them, but it feels like you're watching Wiley Coyote in an action movie because he gets bounced <laughs> around and smacked and hit and abused so much. Mm -hmm. And then he shows back up and it's like, oh yeah, this is live action Wiley Coyote. Uh, they just call it John Wick. I think if you called it John Wiley E. Coyote, I think it would have been just as like, it's like, yeah, no, this all makes sense. I liked that. And I liked the other one they did with, uh, Speaking of uh, Better Call Saul, I think the one that they that that the same directors and stunt crew did uh, with Nobody, Mister Nobody, whatever that one oh, was, yeah, yeah. We, I thought that was great too. I like all that stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, Derek's uh, girl, living girlfriend, fiance, perhaps. Uh, I'll check in with Derek on that one. Don't blow up his game. <laughs> wow. He says Michaela just said, "I did not even realize that it was a low budget movie." Well, did you see a superhero in it? <laughs> if, kind of. here, here's the new rule of thumb for yeah. the amazing landscape of Hollywood if you didn't see a superhero in it probably a low budget movie because the only budgets out there are for the capes uh, but that yeah that, I think that's great uh, Michaela can you go to um, Letterbox and write that up you and Derek <laughs> just get on the Letterbox and do it I'm kidding Geekscape because I'm being facetious because well, I don't. I don't see the point of the letterbox, and we were joking about letterbox before this. Not that they don't like letterbox. Okay, I'm right, digging myself another hole. Um, to get myself out of it, I'm going to ask you. Uh, as much as I love this movie, and I know it just got released, and the geekscapers are going to eat it up on Apple TV and Amazon. What's next? The oh, what's that's next? Such an easy question to answer. 
Good. No, it's not. We. Uh, I thought <laughs> we, you were like, oh, we go into production in May. <laughs> oh man. No, we are. We are. Uh, we're floating some things. We're working, trying to work with MPI uh, original films again. Uh, we are literally yeah. uh, going back and why not? We we think we're we're circling something now, but we haven't signed anything. And I think sure. I don't think until we sign anything, we're supposed to talk about it. Yeah. Sure. Uh, what are y'all usually drawn to? Not that that's like my backdoor way of tricking y'all into admitting what you're working on next, but like, <laughs> we, like a story like this, is it indicative of some of the stories you're drawn to before? Uh, I think that Piece of Cake is a fun movie. It's suburban. It's a guy who's a little bit fish out of water trying to get an illegal thing Silver for his film. It's, it's, so yeah, it, it's cool. Geeks gave us. Uh, go to the pinball movie. Um, go to the, go to the website for this film at pinballfilm.com and learn about the Bragg brothers. Learn about the other movies they made and learn about the short, um, which I loved, um, piece of cake. It feels thematically in the same universe as yeah. pinball. Yeah, it definitely. It's yeah, definitely in that comedy wheelhouse, but uh, we. I think it's definitely has a more tonal whiplash i think mm -hmm. which uh i think we really enjoy yeah it's about those little for the for people listening it's about those uh the silver dragets those little silver confectionery balls that you'll find on like wedding cakes christmas cookies and how difficult it is to find them in california and uh um it's uh so we just what we really are looking for is a third silver ball story <laughs> preferably a legal silver ball story yeah, sure. if you can so right you know, now, I think it it's Buckyballs, right? Bucky Probably balls, the next. Yeah. What are those? Likely. Oh, those the desk magnets that you, you know you just oh, play with yeah. the like, magnetic sculptures. There's the magnetic sculptures. There's also the one that's meditative that like swings back and forth. Oh yeah, that's right. But yeah. those are perfectly legal. The little ones, I think, had a problem with being too small and like is that right? Eaten by toddlers, a, yeah. a yeah. choking hazard. I imagine that those confectionery balls. When I learned more about piece of cake, and I was like, wait, those were illegal in California. Is it? Is it like they get into the the streams and the fish, and it's like something like that? The fish it's eat just them. About like, no, silver's inert. Yeah, that uh, technically the FDA says they're um, decoration only because of the tiny amount of silver that coats the balls. Oh, and, they're, they're chocolate, aren't they? Uh, Inside of them, just like sugar. Sugar, it's just like okay. A terrible. Dense sugar. I mean, yeah. okay. that's the stuff to crack teeth with. Yeah, they're not great, but... Um, <laughs> but they're uh, they're yeah. like mini gobstoppers with silver on them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well... So, you know... <laughs> All anyway, the so if you a... find another illegal silver ball to finish out the trilogy, please let us know. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait for your movie Lead Paint. The person who. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, okay. Well, uh, I'm not going to get the answer of what y'all are working on next. I'm just going to give you all the endorsement that wherever y'all work on next, come back on Geekscape. I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait That's to cool. see it. Hopefully, it's at a festival, uh, and hopefully, you make the festival so the festival doesn't play y'all at 2 a.m. Or four a.m. or those could be down, fun. Or down yeah. the street, down yeah, or those down the street. Those midnight screenings are usually pretty good. Yeah, and say midnight screen. Midnight screenings, you got to have a chainsaw in your movie. And midnight screening, you got to put a chainsaw on the movie, and someone's going to lose some digits. Maybe. Uh, all right. All right. Um, but <laughs> that just sounds like a challenge. <laughs> Geeks gave us. You have your challenge. It's not much of a challenge because you're going to enjoy doing it. Uh, you're going to watch this movie, Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. It doesn't just have my endorsement. It has Geekscape's own Derek Cranavelt's endorsement. And Derek, let's just face it, he's he's smarter than I am. So go check this movie out. It's available a lot of places. Uh, I found it on Amazon. I found it on Apple TV. And I clearly found it in the festival uh, circuit. And it got an endorsement from a lot of them. So this is a good movie. This is a movie that you're going to enjoy. It doesn't have a superhero in it which maybe you need a break from. So this is the movie to watch. Uh, Meredith, Austin, anything else y'all want to add to the Geekscape? Where can they follow you? You have a website for your filmmaking, but there's also pinballfilm.com. Yeah. Uh, if you go to uh, pinballfilm.com, it's going to have everything on pinball. The bragbrothers.com is where you'll find all the info to us, including a piece of cake. You can watch it there. Um, and I think we're the Bragg Brothers on Instagram, and we don't really do Twitter. Um, yeah so mm -hmm. yeah i'll say one thing and uh, this uh this 
it's not rated. The film is not rated, but if it were rated, it would be PG, PG 13. Um, if anyone wants to watch it, I think people have been girlfriends and wives and husbands who are not interested in pinball have been surprised to learn that they actually like the movie uh, because you don't, you do not have to be a pinball aficionado to appreciate it. Totally. Uh, as, far, as far as I'm concerned, family friendly, my nine and 11 year olds watch it. Um, you know, it's got a curse word, got a little bit about, you have to have, you may have to have a, a, a conversation about what porn actually is. Uh, but you know, if you've done that already, yeah, it's a good film. Geekscape is, I can't agree. cannot agree more. Um, I'm not a pinball fan. Uh, watched the movie because I thought it was a, again, a conversation piece for y'all. Uh, I think your loved ones are going to enjoy it because it is about so much more than pinball. And I think that was a great move. You guys, not just stripping it down to the narrative of pinball, but including the love interest area thing and the whole bit about, uh, making your own way in the world and taking those risks, uh, regardless of what it was the, in this instance, it's just pinball. Uh, but it's so much more when you think about the movie, uh, thanks for coming on Geekscape, please. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you for having us. This is I'm great. glad uh, we had that meeting and, you know, you were able to get through the crowds, uh, to find <laughs> us. And- <laughs> <laughs> I trampled a 90 year old woman. It was great. She was I'm way. sorry. She was in the way. She was, she was yeah. in the way. Geekscape is just nothing I won't do to try and bring all the best guests. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to have a brand new Geekscape probably next week. Uh, I am traveling back home to Austin. Uh, things, on the filmmaking is heating up a little bit, but I'm going to try and navigate that stuff and keep bringing you geekscapes. Well, as I bring, as I find really cool stuff, like local man, the comic book that we talked about last week with, uh, Tony fleece. Like, I love that book. Uh, that's a great comic. The first issue should still be on stands. Go find it. You're going to love that book. Um, when I find cool stuff in the world, I try and bring it to you. And the Bragg brothers are definitely an example of it. Uh, so tell your friends about geekscape. Tell them to subscribe, write us that five-star review. All that stuff really helps our visibility and allows me to say, hey, like, come on, Geekscape. We're not nobodies. Uh, Come on. We have an audience. And they write these beautiful reviews. Uh, And it also helps, I think, our chart presence on things like Apple and Spotify. So if you write those reviews, it really helps. And, of course, share with your friends. Uh, We're all over socials. Search for Geekscape. You'll find us. And if you're looking for something that's not necessarily this interview show, uh, search for anything that the Geekscape Network puts out. We've got everything from filmmaking to wrestling to video games to, I don't know, you name it. Matt Kelly's adding so many shows to the network that uh, I'm really losing track. Uh, it's fun. We actually did add a specific superhero movies show recently, as well as a Battlestar Galactica rewatch show. That's mm. a lot of fun. So it's all out there. If you're a geek, we probably got something for you. Till next time, Geekscape, don't hate, create. And, uh, Peace. Thank you. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.